Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and let's go back to uh, part three, and uh, this is going to be the end of the talk on pitfalls. And last time we spoke about the importance of looking at the sagittal views and coronal views, and I think there's no place that's more important than looking at the mesenteric vessels. I think it's important that on every single case, you look at least at the sagittal views to look at the SMA and celiac axis and make sure they look okay. We published articles on this that in literally many, many cases, even up to a third of cases, important mesenteric pathology or pathology of the mesenteric vessels is missed because people only look at the axial imaging, and that's by experienced readers. Uh, our conclusion was in an era of isotropic data, you need to look at those images, and axial views are not enough. 3D is wonderful, but I know people often don't do 3D, but at least look at the sagittal views. And the sagittal view is such an important guide to pathology. Think about SMA syndrome, vessel stenosis, median ocular ligament syndrome, staging tumors, looking for aneurysms or vessels, looking for stenosis, looking for collaterals. There's so many things looking for occlusion of vessels. And so you think about occlusion of the mesenteric artery, easy to miss. Occlusion is what we associate with bowel ischemia. Now, sometimes you're looking for bowel ischemia, and then you'll look at the vessels, but bowel ischemia presents the abdominal pain, presents as all sorts of different symptoms, and unless you're looking carefully, you're going to miss things. Now, we think, of course, you look at the vessels, you're looking for plaque, but patients often don't have plaque. Often the proximal vessel looks wonderful, and we tend to study the proximal portion of the vessel and say it looks good. In this case, the SMA looks wonderful until you get down about 10 centimeters, and there's the clot. It's so obvious on the sagittal view, and it's so obvious on the 3D view, but it's obvious how good the vessel looks until you hit the occlusion. You miss this, the patient dies. You need to evaluate the entire vessel. If you can't see the entire vessel, make that clear in your report. So I want to show you two different reports. The SMA was evaluated and no evidence of thrombus or stenosis was seen. That means the SMA is entirely normal. Second report, the SMA was evaluated and no stenosis or thrombus was seen. However, distal aspects of the SMA beyond five centimeters were not well defined and cannot be evaluated. You see, here you're saying, I didn't see the distal vessel. Maybe the technique wasn't that good. But you just can't assume you saw the vessel. You can't assume that because you don't see a thrombus proximally, that a thrombus is not present unless you've seen the vessel in its entirety. In most cases, you're going to be correct. But when you're wrong, you're really wrong. Good example, this patient has dilated bowel. This is a multi-million dollar lawsuit. You look at the SMA and those images, it looks OK. But then you look a bit more carefully. You see that bowel loop? That bowel loop is really ugly. When I see that bowel loop alone, I'm worrying about ischemia or something going on. But the SMA was read as negative. But look more carefully at the coronal views. There's something wrong. And go back to the vessels again. And if you just go a little bit slowly, you see that SMA is occluded? And if you reconstruct in the sagittal view, there it is. It's a short segment occlusion, but that was enough to kill a patient, basically. You gotta look at the SMA. It's so easy to miss. Bone pathology. You know, you gotta give more than a cursory look at the bone. It's so easy to miss bone pathology. I spoke before about targeted images of the spine and how you miss things in the abdomen. Well, wide views of the abdomen, you miss things in the spine if you don't look. And axial is limited, particularly for looking at the lumbar spine. You need to look carefully 
even quickly, but look at the soft tissues in the bone. And sagittal views are so critical. So for example, you look at this case and you say, okay, thoracic spine, lumbar spine, eh, looks okay, a little degenerative change. Look at the patient with back pain, look at that same patient, sagittal view, collapse of the L1 vertebral body. That was the patient's symptoms. A recent article by Carberry, very important. Most clinically important vertebral compression fractures in non-trauma patients may go unreported on abdominal CT unless you do sagittal reconstructions. They looked at 2015 CT scans, okay? They looked at a lot of studies. And compression was not seen in 84%, which means is if you don't look, you're going to miss it. You got to look at the sagittal views. Just looking at the axials, you're going to miss things. Now, other pitfalls. Now, I've focused mainly on the abdomen, but I've extended beyond the abdomen. And this is a good example. You may see this on your chest CTs or if your abdominal CTs go too high. What's going on in that atrial appendage? Is that a thrombus or not? Well, when you look at it, it could be a thrombus. But, you know, whenever I see a fluid fluid level, I'll put an arrow there, it makes me worried that it's not a real thrombus. And there have been several articles, article by her, show that CT compared to TE, CT was 100% accurate. Well, in that text, in the technique of that article, the thing you need to be careful is they did two phases. And in fact, the early phase often gave them pseudo lesions, but the second phase, 30 seconds later, it was clear what was a pseudo lesion and what was a real thrombus. So a good rule is when you look at the atrial appendage, and here's another example, this is a pseudothrombus, they always look the same. It's a flat line, it's layering effect. When you have a real thrombus, now of course if you're uncertain you can go back, but sometimes you, know, you don't have to film so the patient's long gone. But when you have a thrombus in the atrial appendage, here's how it looks. It's a central filling defect. It can be large or it can be small. But it's not a layering effect. Whenever I see a layering effect in vessels, I always think I'm dealing with a pseudoclot or pseudothrombus, and that's a good way of thinking. This patient with this atrial thrombus had infarcts to the left kidney. Okay. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, I showed you this slide where uh, Kim and Mansfield spoke about potentially using checklists as a way to avoiding errors. Well, what's the problem with checklists or these templates? There's certain advantages, there's certain disadvantages, we all know those, but I think we are seeing ourselves going to them. The problem, of course, is some of these reports are so lengthy, they're so long, and again, if people have checklists and they don't follow the thing and they assume it's not gonna work, but checklists can be very important. There's an article recently published about pancreatic cancer talking about how to do a radiology template that what they found was given the variability and expertise in the definition of pancreatic ductal carcinoma among different practitioners, a standard template would be a way of really categorizing the staging of disease and making it more reproducible and more accurate. Okay, adoption of the standardized technique should improve decision-making long-term by allowing us to really understand how different responses are to different treatments, knowing the stage of disease. Now, one thing very important this article also says that it's great to have templates, but an important part of that template is the studies are done correctly. 
you need 3D imaging, you need dual phase imaging. So it's important if patients don't have dual phase imaging, you repeat the studies. So their point is it's very, very important. And I was one of the co-authors in this paper. Not only do you need templates, but you need protocols. If you want to do things correctly, you need the right protocol, and then you use the template. If you don't have the right protocol, all the templates in the world are not going to work. But this article I really liked. Uh, you know, Al-Hawari did a wonderful job, and Isaac Francis, wonderful job, because this talks about not only what the scan protocol should be, but it also defines on how you're supposed to read the study. So it gets rid of any interpretive bias or trying to make sure everyone's on the same page. So it explains arterial involvement and explains venous involvement, how you need to define it, and explains how you call extra pancreatic disease. And things are in appendages. Very, very nicely done. Terrific job. So I think this is a very good uh, sort of a blueprint of how you may see things develop in the future how we do the study, and how we interpret the study, and how we report the study. Very well defined, okay? I think that's definitely going to help patient care. The last thing I'll comment about uh, pitfalls, we all know we need to minimize dose, okay? Now, the problem is at times, if you lower the dose too much, you can miss things. You can overcall things. Now, sometimes low-dose protocols are wonderful for lung nodule follow-up, virtual colonoscopy in the prone view, but low dose sometimes is going to be a disaster. Think about liver metastasis. So it's a really balancing radiation dose versus study accuracy. Remember, we talk about not as low dose as possible, but as low dose that we can do yet maintain the accuracy. It's also important to realize that multiphase imaging is often very important. I showed you a kidney, I showed you a pancreas. And again, as you try to minimize dose, you try to minimize phases, and that's a good thing. You shouldn't do four phases just because you can. You need to figure out logically what you need to make the right diagnosis. And when you only have single phase, it may really limit our ability to detect disease and to determine what exactly is going on. And again, more pitfalls may occur. Now, in terms of pitfalls, I think a good conclusion is you need to be aware of the pitfalls, and if you're not aware of them, you're still going to be making them. So it's good to have conferences, go over missed cases, go over interesting cases. It's really going to help you going forward. you got to get away from axial imaging. I gave a recent talk at the University of Penn meeting, and I was happy to see that two-thirds of the people looked beyond the axial plane routinely. That's not an option anymore. Depending on your PAC system, you could do it interactively or have your technologist create it at the scanner and then send it to you. Even when the CT looks normal, give a look at the coronals and sagittals. You're going to be surprised at what you would have missed from the axials alone. And I think hopefully... And this is maybe a great hope and not realistic. The new workflow patterns with next generation software and hardware will, will change. Uh, the advanced visualization tools that we've been promised for 30 years will hopefully come about. I can do more on my iPad now with WebViewer than I can on most workstations. So we need really to go forward. And uh, that's a prayer or a hope. So we'll see what happens. But again, uh, pitfalls are always going to be with us. Misdiagnosis is always going to be with us. We need to minimize the number of misdiagnoses and experience and looking at them and knowing what the pitfalls are only will make us better. Now is that. I thank you very much for your attention and have a great day.